the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. So rather than taking responsibility and humbling himself where everybody can live, humility breathes life, he could have taken ownership and said, you know what, that was a silly, rash oath I made everybody take. Okay, Jonathan, you ate some of the honey. Okay. But son, wow, what a valiant warrior you are. Instead of that conversation, it's, well, I made this vow and the people broke it, or Jonathan did at least, and so I'm going to kill him, my own son. Can you imagine being so prideful that you'd take your own child's life before you'd admit you'd made a mistake? This was Saul's biggest weakness, his pride. He made a bad call, imposing a rule that never was in line with God's will or guidance. And when his own son broke the rule, he was going to enforce capital punishment for his heir. The Israelites were opposed, God was opposed, but as Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, Saul held on to his pride and nearly took his own son's life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Samuel, chapter 14, is where we left off. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your goodness and your mercy pursues us all the days of our lives. And we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We get to be with you because you opened the way through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we're grateful for the cross. We're so thankful for your goodness and your mercy. And we commit this Bible study to you that you would be glorified, Lord, and that we would be edified, that we would be built up in our faith. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's continue reading there at verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, so none of the people tasted food. Okay, so King Saul has imposed a, an oath. He's made his army take an oath that they will not eat anything. This is a, an imposed fast that he is ordering his army to take. And... Um, It's really unclear why he felt like he needed to do this, because at this point, Saul is already slipping spiritually. He's not a praying man. We don't see him as a praising man. We don't see him as a man who's very devoted to God. And so why is he imposing this fast 
onto his army. But nevertheless, he makes him swear an oath. I don't want you to eat anything until we've defeated the Philistines soundly because they've just kind of chased them over to the next town. And Saul wants to pursue them. Well, they're growing faint at this point. You know, you have a whole army and they're not allowed to eat anything. And so uh, they're growing faint. But it says here in verse 25, now all the people of the land came to a forest and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. So they've all sworn this oath. There's this, you know, I don't know if it just happens they stumble into a a huge beehive or if it's just, you know, God's provision. But regardless, Saul has demanded that they not eat anything so nobody's tasting the honey. It's tempting. It's right there. They want to desperately. They're getting faint. We'll see the word faint used a couple times in the following verses, but they don't because they're afraid because Saul has made them swear this oath. Now, someone who's not in the camp at this time to know that Saul has made the army swear this oath is Saul's son, Jonathan, and his armor bearer. So they don't know that the oath is in, is in place. So look at verse 27. It says, but Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you have low blood sugar and you start eating some honey, your, your, your countenance is going to brighten. And then, uh, because also honeycomb cereal is marvelous. And so, you know, he's, he's eating honeycomb cereal with honey. And anyway, verse 28, then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. There's the first use of the word. I mean, you know, the army is, is weakened at this point. They haven't had anything to eat. It's pretty hard to have an, an, an army fight in a battle if they aren't eating anything. But Jonathan said, notice, my father has troubled the land. The word troubled there in Hebrew is a car. A car means to, um, it's the effect of what happens in, with water when it starts to boil. And it's, and it's, it's a word in Hebrew, a car, it means turbulence. And Jonathan is talking about how his dad has created turbulence in, in the country. Not peace which is what the king should be promoting. But there's this turbulence. He's causing trouble uh, in the land. Now, this is the first breakdown of the father-son relationship. We're going we're gonna to have a little glimpse into the family life of Saul and his sons, and in particular his son Jonathan here, as Jonathan begins to say, you know, my dad, he, he, he doesn't have the best interest of the country at heart here, and he's troubled the land And so Jonathan goes on and he says, look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? So it was typical and God allowed after a victory that the victorious army would help themselves to the spoils of the people that they had just defeated. And so such was the case. But the problem is that as the uh, Israelite army is helping them to the spoils, which would have included the livestock left behind when the Philistines fled, they can't eat the livestock. They can't eat any of the spoils 
because they're still under this oath for the entire day. But now sundown happens. So look at verse 31. Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, so the people were very faint. There you have the word again. And the people rushed on the spoil. Okay, so now what's indicated is sunset, which to the Jews, sunset is the start of another day. So now this is a new day. So now the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground and the people ate them with the blood and then they t- yeah and then they told Saul saying look the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood now this looks worse than it is what do i mean it almost looks like you know they slaughtered a lamb and then started you know digging their face into you know the 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 warm flesh of this animal before it was barely dead that's not really what the language suggests what it suggests is they didn't take time when they killed the animals to let all the blood drain out which was required by the law both in Leviticus chapter 17 and Deuteronomy chapter 12 God had said before you eat of a slaughtered animal, you are to drain the blood from the animal. So they hadn't properly drained the blood, but it wasn't like they were sitting around eating raw flesh here because they were that hungry. You know, I can remember growing up though, although I will say, but this is back in the day when, I don't know, I guess it was safer to eat like raw meat, but my, my mom, she's still alive. She's like 86. So it didn't, it didn't take her early or anything. She would make hamburger and I'd watch her eat some of it as she's making that meatloaf or the hamburger patties. And it was very common for her. She'd eat raw hamburger. How many of you had a family member who ate raw? Some of, how many of you actually eat raw? Let me just see. Okay, there's a thing called salmonella poisoning. So, like, I don't know why you would be doing that. My son eats raw eggs. I keep telling him. I said, do you know, like, there's salmonella and stuff like this and, and E. coli? Like, like anyway. So you all have more faith than I do, I guess. So, um, yeah, E. coli boy over here, he eats raw eggs. So anyway, all right. It's like, he's in, like he thinks he's Rocky again, you know, and like, you know, downing the milkshakes with the raw eggs and all that good stuff. Well, so it's not quite like this. Like they're not eating raw animals here. They just haven't allowed it to drain. But having said that, they are violating the scriptures. They are going against what God had commanded. You drain the blood of the animal completely before you, you, you roast it. And they weren't allowing the blood to drain before they roasted it. Now, one of the commentaries I read said this, and I, I forget who to give credit to. I should have written it down. But it says this, forbidding people to do what God allows increases their temptations to do what he forbids. You see, it was not God's command that the Israelites should refrain from eating. That was Saul's doing. I don't want you to eat today. He imposed on them a command, an order that was greater than what God intended. Whenever we impose a command or an order or a law that is greater than what God commands, it's called legalism. Legalism, some people think, will help restrain you from sin. What they don't realize is legalism actually tempts you to sin more. The human nature is always curious about things. 
and often curious about things that we shouldn't get involved with. So it's, it's, you know, when, when you tell a kid, like, no, don't, like, like, if you put candy in a room and say, now, don't touch the candy, what do they want to do? They want to touch the candy. They want to eat the candy, right? And so the, the incentive, when legalism is imposed, it often provokes temptation because now you're being told don't and can't. Now, I'm, I'm not in, in any way denigrating the commandments of God. There are plenty of commandments of God that say don't and can't, okay? But where God imposes the commandment, then there's a righteous reason behind it. When man imposes something greater than God, it's legalism, and legalism does not restrain sin, it leads to it. It tempts it. Legalism is a trap. Um, you know, some of you might have grown up in legalistic homes or um, went to a legalistic Christian school. Um, I've heard the horror stories over the years. Where, where because there are rules that were imposed greater than God's commandments, it led to this, as soon as I get out of mom and dad's house, I'm going to go crazy. Okay? Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So be very, very careful, even in your own parenting, if you still have kids at home, that you set boundaries and rules that are consistent with what God requires and not more, not less either. See, when we do less than what God commands, that's, that's liberalism. That's theological liberalism. When we do more than what God commands, that's theological legalism. And both are wrong. And so we have to always strike that balance of what God requires of us. And in this particular case, Saul was imposing something more than what God intended. And as a result of imposing this day of fasting for no particular reason then it provoked their haste in eating the animals. They roasted them, but they hadn't let the blood properly drain. So they ended up violating God's commandments because of legalism being imposed upon them. It's not an excuse for sinning. I'm just saying this is the tendency of what happens when we get legalistic. Uh, It ends up provoking uh, temptation. And so this is what's happening here. So the people were guilty, but look at, so Saul goes on to say, Uh, the middle of verse 33. So he said, you have dealt treacherously, roll a large stone to me this day. And then Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep, slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. And so every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. And then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. So he's reprimanding the people for doing something that that he triggered. And yet he doesn't want to take any responsibility himself. He's he's saying, you know, you guys are the ones who are guilty of of violating the commandments. He, he takes no responsibility. And then, he, and then he does a very spiritual thing here, but because it isn't met with a genuine heart, he's going through the motions here. He's building an altar. It's the first altar that he built to the Lord. Verse 36. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. And then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. Okay, so there's some good spiritual advice first. The priest is like, well, before we go 
you know, pursuing the Philistines further and, and trying to wipe them out, maybe we should draw near to the Lord. That's always a good thing. And so Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. Now, here's what is inferred. The way that a king in those days or a a priest in general or a leader would discern the will of God was through the practice of, many of you are familiar with this, of two stones that the priest would carry within his vestment, inside his vestment. The high priest would carry two stones. One was called the Urim and one was called the Thummim. And one stone was uh, white and one stone was black and one stone meant yes and one stone meant no. And so God actually would use this process for a time to help communicate his will. And so whenever they wanted to determine and discern God's will, they would go to the priest. What does God want? They would ask a yes or no question. The priest would reach into his vestment, pull out a stone. And if it was the yes stone, the answer was yes. If it was no stone, the answer was no. So what's implied here is that the priest asks a question of the Lord. Do you want to speak to King Saul? Goes into his vestment, pulls out a stone, and that every time he pulls out a stone, it is no. That's why the verse there says, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of the Lord? But he did not answer him that day. He did not answer him because likely the answer was, no, I'm not talking to him today. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, because the answer wasn't enough. All you chiefs of the people and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it, be in, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. So Saul assumes that the reason why God is silent and not answering the question as to whether or not he should go to battle with the Philistines is because there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. That's why God is silent. And Saul assumes that there's sin in the camp, and he says... Even if the sin is found in my son, Jonathan, he's going to die. That's what he says. And the people didn't say a word. They didn't answer him. Verse 40, then he said to all Israel, you be on one side and my son, Jonathan, and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. And therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So that's the Urim and the Tumim. Like, I want to draw out the answer, yes or no. And so Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. And then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. All right, so picture this. Saul says, I want uh, uh, the whole army on one side, and Jonathan and I are going to stand on another side. We're going to cast the lot. In other words, the priest is going to tell us. And so the question is, is the sin among the camp of the, uh, the army? Pulls out the stone. Priest says, no. So then that means it's among Saul and Jonathan. And then the next question is, which one of us? Where's their sin? Is it me? Stone, no. Is it Jonathan? Stone, yes. So then Saul says, what have you done? What have you done? And Jonathan said to him, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die? Like this is unreasonable, right? And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. All right, some more notes, some principles here from chapter 14. Unnecessary vows lead to unreasonable actions. 
There was, again, no reason why Saul needed to impose this vow. Whoever's done wrong is going to die. Why? This isn't, they're, they're not sinning against God. They're sinning against your foolish oath that you made them take. You can't eat any food. Anybody eats food, you're going to die. And then his own son, which he doesn't know until now when it's exposed, his own son eats some of the honey, and he's now, now you got to die. Why does he have to die? That's an unreasonable thing. It's a terribly unreasonable thing. Well, because you made a vow that was unnecessary, and unnecessary vows, unnecessary promises. Listen, don't get into the habit of making these unnecessary promises. You promise what God wants you to promise, but don't go around promising this and promising that because your word is your bond. And when you start saying things, you better do what you say. So it's better not to make a vow at all than to make a promise or make a vow and break it. And Saul is guilty of making a vow that was unnecessary, so now it's leading to these unreasonable actions. And on the heels of that, here's the third principle from this chapter, pride breeds death, humility breeds life. Saul is too proud to admit that he made a foolish vow, that he imposed a foolish oath. So rather than taking responsibility and humbling himself where everybody can live, humility breathes life. He could have taken ownership and said, you know what? That was a silly, rash oath I made everybody take. Okay, Jonathan, you ate some of the honey. Okay. But son, wow, what a valiant warrior you are. Instead of that conversation, it's, well, I made this vow and the people broke it or Jonathan did at least. And so I'm going to kill him, my own son. Instead of being humble about it, he's full of pride and it leads to, he wants to kill his own son. Now look, the people intervene. Verse, verse 45. But the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. And so the people rescued Jonathan and he did not die. All right. God bless the people. The people realized this is a, a foolish vow. You made a swear. Jonathan didn't even know about it. He eats some honey and you want to kill your own son. Now, do you see the spiral downward that Saul is taking? I mean, he, he's wanting to kill his own son over a foolish vow. He starts out as a very reluctant leader and he's going to continually progress to this proud, paranoid, controlling king who now wants his own son dead and will try to kill David because David is a threat to him. I mean, this guy, he kills a bunch of priests. I mean, his story is going to unravel even further, but you're getting to see a glimpse of it now. Verse 46, then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. And so Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jishui. Jishui also, some of your Bibles has a, have a footnote. He's also referred to as Abinadab. And Malkashua. I love that name, Malkashua. So it lists three of his sons. Now, for, for you Bible scholars, there's another son 
who's not mentioned in the list, and his name is Ishbosheth. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of a king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.